Welcome to the second of the Sounding Board interviews, a spin-off of our regular podcast for which we recently published our 22nd episode. Tonight's guest is Steve Reynolds. Steve, a native of Telford in the English Midlands, has been running a superb indie alternative club night for several years now in Reading, and which goes by the name of Darklands. In the pod, I explore with Steve the ins and outs of running a successful club night, how to drum up an audience and how to take advantage of a good venue. Well, most importantly, which tunes are the best ones to pick? Enjoy. Steve, you run, for want of a better description, an indie alternative club night, which takes place in Reading called Darklands. How long has it been going? Tell the audience a bit more about it. Oh, yeah, sure. I've been running it for seven years now. So I started it in September 2010. Uh, jazz clubs no longer about anymore in Reading and then I moved around a couple of venues so I used to do it at the Blargrave Arms and I did it at the Corn Stores and then I also did it at another venue which the life of me I can't remember the name of now and then I've settled on a home and I've done it at South Street Arts Centre for four years now in total so yeah that's how it how we picked up and it's been going yeah seven years yeah and tell us about the name as well well, the Darklands is a, is a named after one of my favourite albums of all time, which is by the Jesus and Mary Chain, if anybody doesn't actually know. When I was looking at names, I was I was just throwing up all these different weird things. And I was thinking about this the other day. One of the names that I thought of was like Celluloid. I don't know whether it would actually have ever worked. And I was trying to think of the sort of band album names as an idea to use. And Darklands was quite easy to find in the end. And so I decided to use it as a name I was quite worried about whether it'd be a copyright on the name but it seems there is lots of other different types of events in towns and cities all over the country called Darkland so I was quite safe with that really yeah I think it works really well as a name my my mind is racing now about potential other album titles that that could work well so anybody who wants to get in touch on at sounding board 69 on twitter with some suggestions do so and tell us a bit about the kind of audience and the kind of people who show up and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's a real it's a real mix. So we get a lot of the older type indie types, so people in their in the mid forties, etc., who love listening to indie music on vinyl years ago. So we get a lot of those. Get a lot of older goth people coming along from time to time, and then we've got some younger folk that sort of flit in and out whenever they can who are sort of looking at more the left-field type of indie music, not your standard down-the-road stuff, but are looking at other things. So there's a real diversity of, of age ranges across the board, really, and, and that's something that is really good to see. And pretty much every month there'll always be a new face that I've never seen before. Yeah, well, that's great. It's quite a long time since I've been myself, but hoping to get there in the next two or three months. Uh, recording this in November... 2017 so I think there are two more before the end of the year is that right yeah Yeah. 25th of November on Saturday 8 till midnight and the 16th of December 8 till midnight as well and that'll be the last two of the year great okay so tell us a bit about your musical background how did you get into music what did you date it to I would date it to when I started work in 1986 I was kind of in a bit of a sort of musical I don't know where I was going with music and I remember in the sixth form at school, before I left, somebody brought in, we had an old record player in the in the common room, and people brought in the records and played them, but it was a bit of a bun fight. So if you got there early, you could 
you could put something on. So one of the first tunes I ever heard in there was this 12-inch of New Order Shell Shock. And there was this guy who was in my ear put it on. I was like, wow, it's amazing, because it had that thing where it flitted between the two speakers, which sounded brilliant. And then someone brought the Mary Chain Psycho Candy in. And I'm thinking, this is just like utter noise. I can't get on with this. And then I left school and I worked with this guy who was four years older than me. And his name's Lindsay. And I've t- I have not told him that he, was, he influenced me, but he'd be probably quite proud of that. He'd find it quite amusing. But I worked with him and we used to work uh, for the MOD back in the day. And he got me into the Smiths, House Martins, Echo and the Bunny Men, Half Man, Half Biscuit, The Jam which I'm not a big fan of the jam, but he got me into all these kind of bands. And I guess really he was the person that influenced me in in where I went with my musical direction because I didn't really know where I was going. I mean, I wasn't into pop music. I wasn't into chart music, but I needed someone to almost be a bit of a father figure to me and stand over me a bit and say, these are good bands that you should check out. So really he was the person that led me down the path that I'm on now. Yeah, and does that kind of love for kind of indie, for want of a different, better word, lasted since then? Yeah, absolutely. And I think since I've been doing Darklands, I spent more time listening to older stuff that I probably didn't even listen to back then. So when I started it, I think it had a lack of direction. But nowadays, I know where I'm going. And I think doing the night and reading different books about post-punk music it got me into bands like Gang of Four and Wire and those kind of bands. So I think doing the own night was a bit of an education for myself. Yeah, that's one of the joys of it really, isn't it? Delving back into the musical past and discovering the influences, the bands, you know, like the Velvet Underground and the Stooges who possibly influenced the sort of 80s stuff that we grew up with. And my experiences are certainly pretty contemporaneous to yours. So that's really interesting to see. I have to say at my school... People hogged that record player with <laughs> Dire Straits Brothers in Arms, which was very unfortunate. And uh, we used to have like all out pitch battles, I think, <laughs> at times, trying to stop them, put it on. But we usually went to, so far the other way that we would tend to go back 10 years from that point in the mid 80s and put punk on. You know, so there was a lot of clash and Sex Pistols made its way onto the sixth form record player. So, yeah, I'm sure that's a situation that's been repeated the country over. The weird thing about it is, I do remember, I can. Remember the layout of our sixth form, so crystal clear. I can't remember where the speakers was, but you'd walk in and over in the corner was this turn, tiny little turntable with a proper hood on it. And it was right. People used to get to school early just to put their records on. Oh, completely. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. No, that was definitely, it was well worth it. Well worth getting up at 6am in freezing <laughs> cold in December in the middle of Thatcher's Britain to sort of be able to put on Take the Skinheads Bowling or something yeah, like that. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, great. And I mean, generally, it's my impression, I don't know if this is a 40 years man and boy type comment, but there seem to be less indie nights these days, although there are quite a few around that I've noticed that played what you might call kind of landfill indie, you know, stuff like the kooks and the pigeon detectives and that kind of stuff, but, and stuff that kind of verges on the kind of emo side of things and the kind of more mainstream kind of guitar-y stuff. But there seem to be a few less these days than there were, but were there any good ones back from your formative years that inspired you? I, I think there were nights in... Reading was a very, very busy time for it in the 90s. There were several indie nights in Reading, there was the Sunday night at the Washington Heights. There was a Sesame Street night that was on at the After Dark. There was one that anybody remembers, the old TARDIS that was opposite Reading Station, called Gatsby's at the time. It was called Sloppy Joe's before that, but I remember it as Gatsby's. 
and that used to have an indie night on a Monday. The Coopers used to do a metal indie night. There was loads, but the Sesame Street one made me go to a lot more regular indie nights because where I grew up in Telford, we had one night that used to happen now and again, and it wasn't enough if you liked something a little bit different. So I think that that night always gave me the ideas. And when I decided to set up Darklands, I didn't want it to be a mainstream night. So the challenge is always finding people who want to hear that extra bit of left field, who want to dig underneath, you know, not the obvious indie sounds like the Kooks and the Pigeon Detective, but they want to have a listen to something else. And that's always the challenge at Darklands, which is why sometimes it's difficult to get all those people in. You know, because you've got to find them, and finding them is the hardest thing. Yes, yeah. I mean, from my point of view, I was lucky enough to go to University of Manchester, and the Temperance Night at the Hacienda was was a great night. Even though at the time it seems sounds sounds like it would have been really trendy now, but actually the indie kids were seen as a bit loserish. Certainly, Tony Wilson and the rest were pretty contemptuous of us students, as he yeah. put it. And the nights like Hot and Nude, which were the kind of acid house nights that really broke towards the end of the 1980s were the really really trendy ones and then that all fed into the whole kind of Manchester thing and when dance and indie got mixed up but that would be a good one for me any other towns that you've experienced them in yeah Uh, to be fair I mean probably not because I've spent so much of my life living in Reading I mean I think I've been to the odd nights in other towns but I think Reading has had a, a real good influence on me in the early 90s but you know those nights don't generally exist and I think it did inspire me to set up a night to try and capture that again but also try to have an emphasis on bringing in a younger crowd of people so getting younger people involved in listening to the music that we loved in the 80s that they might not necessarily love now but you need to try and influence them and get them on board so that's always the challenge and we have quite a challenge here doing that especially with students in Reading because it's very hard to get any traction with the university because they're very anti it nowadays because he's put a lot of gigs on they don't have an indie night anymore they've kind of it's a bit of a closed shop down there so it's quite hard to hit those crowds so it is about standing on street corners giving out flyers which i haven't done for a while but i'm thinking that turn the next year would be something i might start doing again putting flyers out on the street stepping up the me the social media side of things a little bit more Yeah, it's interesting you raised the student thing because that came up in our last interview podcast with Simon Bailey and in relation to Oxford in that the audience for the tremendous gigs that he's putting on in Oxford is more often than not an older crowd, a professional earning crowd. And I don't know whether things like student fees and and other things are affecting. I mean, students have never been rich. We all know that. But, but, you know, it does seem as if they're less of a factor in amongst audiences for both clubbing and going to gigs. I would agree with that. I think also, if you remember, I don't know if you remember, but I remember my first Reading Festival, I went out with a girl who was a student. I was never a student, but I, there was a real... Students loved indie music. They loved Nirvana. They loved Mud Honey. They loved Teenage Fan Club. They loved all those bands. I don't necessarily think that students like that sort of music anymore. And I think that's a reflection of Reading Festival, where it's quite mainstream indie. And it's, there will always be those left-field indie kids, but it's finding them. And that's, that's the challenge that the night has which is what I'm trying to look at as more ways of getting them on board. Because t- I remember one night this year, I had like 10 of them turn up. I'd never seen them again. So where do they all go? You know, Why didn't they come back? So it is a constant challenge, but they are there, but it's just finding them. And maybe the in- I think that the internet is easier to find those people now, but also there's, you need to be out there 
being a foot soldier really and doing the flies in the street it's really important as well yeah after this break we're probably going to be delving a little bit more into the actual tunes that steve tends to play at darklands welcome back to steve uh, what proportion of golden oldies and current tunes do you normally opt for in your playlist? I think, I think, Rob, it's probably about eighty-five to fifteen in favour of golden oldies, as you put it. Yeah. I'd pretty much say that was it. I mean, we do, I, because of the kind of target, the demographic of the audience and the age groups. Generally, those people want to hear some of the older stuff, and so I would probably say, yes, yeah, about eighty-five to fifteen. And I do have a few little ones that I throw in early doors before it's busier and people want the more popular left field stuff. But I'm also so conscious that people sometimes want to hear something a little bit younger and they just throw it out there. And the beauty of the way that I do it is because I don't use a computer, people won't ask me for it. Yeah. And yeah. know that I'll have to have it. Yeah. That's yeah. the one bonus. Yeah, I was I was wondering how that works these days. It's a bit like those video jukeboxes in pubs, you know, like, can you really expect anything? But bizarrely, when my girlfriend and I have been to Darklands, we've asked for some stuff and you've had it. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I have to say now that my girlfriend and her friend are guilty of being the people who constantly ask for Where's Me Jumper <laughs> <laughs> by Sultans of Ping FC. So they're the annoying ones, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I can't really argue with that because I think that that tune... That tune became quite popular towards the end of the night, yeah. mainly because of that, when the guitar riff kicks in and the drums kick in, mm. people kind of lose all their inhibitions on the dance floor there and start like circling like crows around a, you know, a body or something. Yeah. You know? yeah. Oh, no, it's a great one to have. I was also going to ask about how far back you go. Obviously, a lot of it's from the kind of punk and post-punk era onwards, but you do... Going to the 60s and 70s yeah, a bit? Yeah. yeah, so we've had Velvet Underground, bits of the Stooges, early Stooges yeah, as yeah. well. Sometimes we've played, like, the odd Beatles song. Yeah. So, like, Tomorrow Never Knows, which she's got that, yeah. which I think the Chemical Brothers used that kind of rhythm, didn't they, they later did, years yeah. on. That's the tune that I've played before. I think, really, those the Velvet Underground obviously goes on to where the Mary Chain ended up being. That's probably about as left field as we'd go with that sort of... That sound. I've always been quite conscious of because I always quite like the Beach Boys. Yeah. It doesn't really fit in a lot of times with what what it, the Darklands is. So yeah. it's kind of lingered around in the background, but never really ever. I'd be made happy it. with that. Yeah, <laughs> I've dabbled with the idea now and again, yeah. and also some of the girl group stuff as well, like the yeah. Renettes and the Crystals. But I just think then it will just be not probably what it's used to be so it's quite a bold thing to do maybe if I went to another town and I mixed it up yeah they might you know be able, be able to see that yeah okay I really like that but in Reading people have got used to it maybe I should fire it in for a bit of a change you know and break it up a bit yeah there used to be a, a really good night named off the Bell and Sebastian song called Track and Field in London which was in Clerkenwell and I went to that a few times and they used to have a mix of indie and northern soul so they played a lot of the old northern soul stuff you know yeah. um, and that actually worked quite well most people were pretty happy with it I was going to ask you about dance music as someone I personally feel I mean indie's my natural constituency but I do I did like particularly that kind of late 90s early noughties kind of dance music scene you know left field chemical brothers orbital that kind of stuff they're amongst my favorites how far do you think you can kind of like slip into that territory or do you think you've got to keep it guitars primarily? no I am quite conscious of the electronic side so we've played 
things like human Le- like the early human league's oh, got yeah. a really electronic sound suicide has been like the ghost rider tune which is obviously probably their most famous that mm-hmm. i've played that before warm leatherette that kind of that miller sound that he did that mew the odd depeche mode tune as well new order and it was quite the synthy side of new order and then probably things like liars which is yeah. a lot darker a bit more left field and death in vegas so oh, yeah. there are there are they are there i've tried to vary it up because there is a mix of people who don't just want to hear guitars they want to hear the electronic side of stuff as well so i'm quite conscious of making sure that that crowd is available john fox you know now and again yeah, I think that's like Underpass great. is a great little tune to throw in, isn't it? And in fact, you just give me an idea. I'm going to get that out of the box and put that in for Saturday's set, I think. Yeah, well, all of these would be welcome for me. Absolutely no question about it. Um, a little couple of questions about the logistics. I mean, in terms of size and, and other factors, what's the ideal venue for a club night, would you say? Hmm. For a club night nowadays, I think you're probably looking at a couple of hundred. I don't think you would look at any more. I mean, the current venue I DJ in is holds about 100, 120. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think logistically, that's a good good sort of size. I think that if you have it too big, you kind of lose that intimacy. And I think that people want intimacy in a club night now and again. They don't want to walk into a room and there's 30 people in a huge room. If there's 30 people in a smaller room, people just feel that it's just a bit more, a bit more comfortable with it. So yeah. I think it's, yeah, I'd say about 120. I think so. So the days of sort of Club UK and Ministry of Sound, I mean, they seem to have sort of gone a bit, don't they? Mm. I think Fabric was in financial trouble and all the rest of it, wasn't it? I mean, that, that mega club thing. That, that, I, I wonder, we're hoping to do a podcast actually on the whole notion of the superstar DJ in that era with David Cox, who's a regular on the podcast, because both me and him were a little bit into that, although personally, from my point of view, more as an armchair consumer. Yeah. Um, but I think that's something to look back on as a kind of weird point in British history. And we'll take that. So what hours do you think are optimal? I know Darklands at the moment, you, you have 8, 8, 8 p.m. until midnight. Yeah. How do you feel about that? I mean, the, the, because it's a council venue, the, the restrictions are because it's in a an urban area, the yeah. restrictions are 12. If I could do it, I think I'd rather go somewhere like sort of 10 till 2 yeah, or 9 till 2. So because people turn up sometimes at half 11... And I think they're just getting into the groove of it all and they want another couple of hours. So I would be quite open to looking at venues elsewhere where it's possibly open till two o'clock in the morning because I think people are just getting into their groove after midnight. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I always, the times I've been, I've always found that we've had about an hour of, of bopping around and that's been about it, partly because I don't live in Reading. So that's always like a bit of an issue. We'd normally have to rush for a train, but and we're thinking about one of the times we come that sort of, drawing lots to see who drives, you know, at some point, so we'll see. But I think I'm with you, although obviously with the older audience, of which I would include myself as a member, I sort of like tend to do the drinking early now. So so it might be uh, might be a good one. And um, I, I seem to remember like one of the times I came, there was some pretty good real ales on and that kind of thing. Yeah, they well. do. The venue does have them. They bring them in from outside. Yeah. Yeah. West Barks. West Barks got a couple of pumps brewery. in there now. Yeah. And yeah, they are quite popular. But... As a couple of my mates come along, they still pine for a bit of the old Fosters, yeah. and they call it indie wine. Indie wine, really? Yeah. Well, that's not a, not an unfair description, I think. So, t- tell us a little bit about the business as- aspects of a club night, and like you know, it, how you involve promoters, the venue, the costs to get in, the prices at the bar. Is there anything that's kind of optimal? There is anything you've learned over the years? That's yeah, been really important. I think what. You, what 
I think the thing that you learn more than anything is don't be complacent. Yeah. I mean, I've anybody that comes in has been has given an email address, so I, I send out an email not very often, maybe about a week before the event to keep people's mind in, in check. I try to personalise the way I write the email so it looks like it's just going to the person, which is a difficult thing to do. And I think really you just need to keep people informed. And I've been quite lucky in the fact that I've developed a good sort of core of probably about 30 people that always come and then it's just about you hitting those other people. And if you get any passers-by come by, that's always a bonus and you try to hook them in and get them to come back again. The night I run is free, so it's, you know, you don't have to pay to come in. And and really the way it works is it's quite positive, but the business angle, the things that I've learned is you just can't afford to expect those people to come all the time. And there has been nights where 10 people have showed up. Right. And there has been nights where six, 70 people, like we did a one-off Bowie night after he passed away. I went to that. Did yeah. you come to yeah. that? I mean, that's the busiest it's ever been. There must have been 85 people in mm. that room that night. It was a fantastic yeah. night. And the other angle that I've done is I've put gigs on with Darklands for a couple, a couple of times. So I've brought some local bands in and maybe done a couple of hours so a couple of bands and then I do a DJ thing after which is I wanted to do more of it's sometimes difficult if the band has a lot of members to break it all down and set Darklands back up after but that's something that does work, work quite well and I think that if you double it up with a gig it seems to be oh I'm going to go to a gig and there's going to be a disco after yeah because whatever way you dress it up it's just a disco at the end of the day and some guy playing records yeah. but I think that I'm going to look at that more often I think, that's 2018. A, I think that's a good model, actually. I think in Oxford, where I live, I think there's there's a feeling that the best combination is to do that, you know, get a band in early. I was going to ask you right at the very end, so hold your horses a bit on sort of any local bands in Reading that are sort of up and coming. Coming back to the music, an example of any absolute cast iron floor fillers that never fail to get people bopping. Yeah, you mentioned one earlier. Yeah. Where's my jumper? And I'm just looking through my list of bands, and I'd say... New Rose by the Damned has oh, right. always been a yeah. very popular song. Where Is My Mind by the Pixies used to be the end song for a little while, which people really, really loved. I'd say uh, Rise by Public Image Limited, really popular tune. We normally, I normally chuck in a couple of Bowie songs, so anything off the Ziggy Stardust album generally works quite well. Some well, Sparks is turning big enough for both of us. I mean, they're obviously the most popular hits, but you don't really hear them very often. Like, I Want to Be Your Dog by the Stooges. You don't really hear it very often outside of a, a, a sort of select club night. So I think people come along and they want to hear those, class them as a bit of a banger. And then I've got a box of CDs behind, a um, box of seven-inch vinyl behind you. And in those, probably, there are nights where... 50% of the music I play will come out of that box. So like Soft Cell, Bed Sitter, always works really well with Don't Go By Yazoo, back to back, yeah. which I've done before. And you might think, oh God, he's going to play that again. But the good thing about my night is I can get away with being a bit more risky with with what people might think is a safe tune to play. Like Gang of Four, At Home is a Tourist. That's a really good song and people people know it. And that's why I try to throw those in there. So... There are some absolute bangers. I think probably Transmission by Joy Division has always been a really popular one as well. Even though I prefer Disorder, 
which is obviously the... Well, I think it's a better tune, but Transmission is the most popular one that people remember. And then Roxy Music. I'm trying to remember the name of the track now. Virginia Plain. Virginia Plain Roxy Music because it's got that real up-tempo bit and the Eno kind of synth sound. That's quite a popular song as well. So, yeah, there's probably about 25 songs that are cast iron winners. Yeah, yeah. I remember really enjoying hearing... uh, Carter USM's Sherry Fat Man. <laughs> that, that was that was very enjoyable. And take the skinheads bowling by. Yes, yeah, sorry. Bay yes, I I forgot that. And that is I've got that on the twelve on and twelve inch vinyl. And that track is a fantastic track, and yeah. that's quite popular. One Just as well, extraordinary, yeah. brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Reminds me of my youth. And uh, you mentioned Where Is My Mind by the Pixies as being the 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 track that would generally conclude the evening. Uh, any others that you sometimes end the night on? I think Life on Mars is, is quite popular because it's a slow down tune. Yeah. And I think it, it's really, uh, sometimes I just think Off the Hoof, which would be a closer. The New Rose has, has closed the set out previously before as well. I've even played Karma Police by Radiohead. It's generally never been a huge player of Radiohead stuff at, at the night. I don't know why that is, but because I'm a fan of Radiohead and what they do. But Karma Police has been quite a, a successful one before. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've dropped the odd fall track in there. And that's quite a hard thing to do because a lot of people only know the, the general ones. I, I love Telephone Thing because it's got that bass that they did, that bass sound they did it with. Who those DJs? I remember the DJs they did it with. I can't remember. Cold yeah. Cut. Yes, yeah. And that was a great sound and it was a fantastic album, mm. Extricate. And it's quite nice to put it out there because there's a friend of mine who comes who is a fall aficionado and he gets fed up to the high teeth of the, the radio when they play... Victoria, Mr. Pharmacist, and a couple of others, the same one. So if he comes now and again, I'll try and fit in a song that won't make him go, oh, that's the obvious fall track, let's play something I else. I think fall so. fans tend to be a bit like that. But I have to say, Mr. Pharmacist is one of the most enjoyable indie disco tracks, just simply because of the speeding up in the middle, a bit like the clashes, should I stay or should I go? Yeah. You know? I mean, I think that that really, really does you know, sort of work well, I think. Uh, I'd probably pick Hit the North as a particularly good one. Yeah, that's a great tune. Yeah, yeah. Um, Another one I've just remembered was um, Waiting Room by Fagazi. Oh, yeah. Because it builds and builds up, and it's it's not a very long track, but that became quite popular. A friend of mine who comes along used to bring a few tracks for Vern, say, when are you going to play this? And I I got a Fagazi album, but I didn't actually have that album that that track's from, and I I played it, and it it really worked really, really well. So I'll always, I'm quite open to recommendations for people as well. I don't, I don't ever have an ego about it. I like people to recommend something if you think it's going to work. I was going to ask about that in a minute after this break. Right. Well, you mentioned earlier on that you pretty much just use sort of physical artifacts. So, Despite that, DJing has evolved over the years with different formats and sort of different turntables and mixing desks and people using MP3s. What's your general feeling about that? Why do you stick to the trad way of doing things generally? I think it might be a reflection of buying records pretty much all my life and because I'm a bit older. And also I like to, if I spend 10 quid on something, I want something tangible to look at. I think I've only ever downloaded one album in my life which I paid about £8 for and I thought well what it's just something in the air now it's nothing physical for me to use and I think that 
what I love as well is the fact that the artwork is part and parcel of what makes vinyl more attractive. And the artwork's improved so much over the last 10 years. You get coloured vinyl, get little extras, and you generally get an MP3 download with it as well. Yeah. So you can double up. And I look at my collection and I'm sat here talking to you and realising I've got, like, for some reason, four copies of Hatful of Hollow. I don't even know why I've got four copies, but it's bizarre. But I still love opening it and looking at the sleeve and picture of Morrissey and all the other lads in there. And I just think that they've just got there's so much history in a record or so much love in a record. You just don't get that with with an MP3. And because I guess I'm just a bit of a martyr as well. So I carry that box around with me and it probably weighs about 35 kilograms. Probably not doing my back any good at all. <laughs> but I just... I can't give in to a P- doing it on a PC. I think I've done one gig for a friend on a USB stick and it just felt pretty empty. Yeah. yeah. And when you have turntables, so I use two turntables for the night, people come up and they, they, you know, they're looking at, oh, I don't know this, and their head's spinning while they're trying to read this, what's on the sleeve. Oh, can I have a look at the sleeve? And people have got stories and they look, they like it. And I think that is why records have become so much more popular again and it's so great that they're at their peak now for what 14 years the highest sales ever i think it can only go up because more bands are getting on board with it all i'm not talking about the pop charts the top 40 i think you know that's always going to be a download but all the other things that are out there dance music has always had that vinyl thing alternative bands are making more and more records all the time on coloured vinyl there's some labels that have gone out on a limb and just put everything in colour like Rocket Recordings probably one of the best labels definitely is going to be one of the biggest indie labels in the next three years they put stuff out on amazing coloured vinyl uh, for me I don't mind paying extra money 18 quid for a, for a vinyl record if I think it looks nice and plays well where do you normally get your record? I normally go resident records in Brighton online. Yeah. Pretty good. Really fav- favourite shop. Um, I've used Norman records from time to time. I very rarely ever go to the big chains. I think they've had my money. So I kind of try and keep yeah. it for the sort of small independence if I can. Yeah, I mean, and we're hoping for one of these future interviews to get a representative from a record store on, which I think will be very interesting to get the ins and outs of that side of the business. And actually... In one of our early podcasts, we did actually look at record stores and the whole economics of it and that kind of thing. So, so you're all very interesting. Uh, you've talked a little bit that you do plan the set list in advance, but and but I've always found that you've been very open about requests. And there seems to be two schools of thought on this. You get the very kind of stony-faced sort of DJs who, who refuse everything. But, I mean, you seem as if you're quite open to it. Yeah. yeah. I think that people come for a night and if you've got a tune that will fit in at the time and the place, then that's a good thing. You know, generally people will come and ask for a big tune in the last sort of hour. I've DJed places before where they've asked for something which you know would kill the dance floor. And when you're coming up to that kind of peak time, you've got to be polite to people and say, look, it's probably not going to work. But you wouldn't directly say that, but you might say, oh, okay, I'll try and play it or... Try to be nice to people because you want them to come back, but you don't want to leave them disappointed. So, you know, you might offer an alternative. Oh, I haven't got that. What about this instead? Yeah. So I think you have to have an open mind. And, and I think it's really, really important that the audience is there to hear those songs. But you've also got to make sure that the people who are there are going to enjoy the songs that you play. So it's a very, very fine act. And when I first started doing it, I used to be petrified 
people asking me for something I didn't have. But I think as you get more confident, then you just have to realise that, okay, you can't meet everybody's expectations, but you can try and do your level best that they go away and say, yeah, I quite enjoyed that night, I'll come back. Yeah, I think so. And you haven't got that long to play with either because a lot of people would never be turned up after the pub, don't they? And yeah. Like for an hour or so. So, um, so you know, it's it's quite a tight time frame, really. And uh, have you had any ridiculous requests? Yeah. Coldplay? Really? Yeah. Uh, James Morrison? Yeah. Those are probably the two worst requests I think I've actually had. I can't think of any others... Somebody has asked me something ridiculous once, and it will probably come to me after we finish speaking, but I can't quite remember what it was. Yeah, we're hoping that the people who who, who suggested those aren't listening, because <laughs> you might have lost two. <laughs> I don't think I actually ever saw them again. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's difficult. I think as a punter, when I make a request, I always do think, is this in keeping with the night? while at the same time feeling you know like eclecticism in music so it's, it's you, you just kind of feel well, you wouldn't want to suggest something and then the other issue i guess is if people are getting too obscurantist and and that that must be an issue here and there yeah we do we do get you do get people ask for some very i, I found some really old set lists where people come and um, write loads of stuff down on a piece of paper and some of the stuff you just couldn't play yeah uh, but then there'd be other things like a song that I'd never heard of before, like Probe by the Psychedelic Furs, which is about two minutes long. You know, someone said, you should play that. It worked really well. And it, it worked a treat. So I think you have to have an open mind at things like that. But it would only ever work at a certain time. You wouldn't play it in the last 10 minutes unless there was like a huge consortium of Psychedelic Furs fans that turned up for the last 10 minutes of the show. So. Yeah, they did play in Oxford recently, actually, but unfortunately I was on holiday. I'd quite like to have seen them, mm-hmm. I have to say. Yeah, so so as, as well as this, you also have a, a bi-monthly show on local radio in Berkshire. And tell us more about that. Yeah, I've been lucky enough to do it for Kennet Radio over in Newbury. And yeah, as you say, it's a bi-monthly thing. I try to do it more often when I can, time committing, but it's normally for two hours. It's normally like the third Wednesday of the month, which is... Time-wise, about 9 till 11. And I, yeah, I just try to replicate what I do as the Darklands, but probably play a lot more of the newer stuff. So stuff that I buy. So some of the newer bands that I I quite like, like Nooms. Oh, we, I think we talked about it before, who are, who are brilliant, who I've seen a couple of times from Russia, a fantastic band. Um, some bands like Duds, who I've seen over, who played End of the Road this year. And just to try and, and Jane Weaver, the new Jane Weaver album, some tracks from that, which is fantastic. So I think I've got, with my radio show, I play a lot, I'm trying to mix it up with a mix of new and old. And I think I've been influenced quite heavily by one particular DJ. Who's that? Mark Riley. Oh, of course. So his show, uh, it really influenced me in terms of how he puts his show out, because he has a really good mix of that old classic stuff. And put some new bands in there as well. So, you know, my idea would be to have some bands come and actually talk in the studio from time to time and do that as well, give them a bit of a plug. But yeah, I do like the fact that I can chuck some newer stuff in there. Um, like Dead Sea Apes, so if you know them, like, a, like um, they've just done an album that sounds exactly like Pills Metal Box. I put that one of their tunes out on the radio, uh, it just sounded fantastic, really dubby, really heavy, a really nice sound in terms of what they do. And then I'll play that with like Buzzcocks or something next to it. 
I think that's the way to do it, certainly as a punter. I mean, when I've listened to your show, I mean, I've, I've really enjoyed the mix. Because there's someone I, I do like to keep up with new music, not just sort of marooned in the past. So I think it's, a, yeah, great mix, really, really good. And, you know, without being too cliched either, I think the problem is with your kind of Amazon or Spotify, if you like this, you will like this thing, is it just becomes a bit too predictable. Yeah, I would it? agree with that. I yeah. completely agree. I mean, you... You look at those Spotify things, you think it was quite revolutionary whenever they started doing it, but now you think, well, I'd never like that band. No. Where do they get the connection? They're, I don't know whether it's how they do it, does someone physically do it, but sometimes you just think, well, there's no connection there. Between it's algorithm, I think, and the problem is it's just pallid, uh, you know, pallid copies of the original half the time, isn't it? That's the thing. Yeah. Like broken English with a copy of like uh, Rolling Stones back in the day, <laughs> that kind of thing, to use one of the more sort of notorious examples. Uh, so coming back, I mean, you mentioned a few kind of nationally and internationally known bands there, and but any any good tips for bands to look out for at the moment, aside from the ones you mentioned, and also are there any local bands in Reading that you, you, you're liking yeah. at the moment, what the, they're doing? There's a, there's a bit of a scene... There's always been a little underbelly of a scene in Reading, not huge, and there's never been a band that's gone on a bit, well, obviously the Amazons, and they've gone to another level. But I think at the moment there are a couple of bands, so there's a band called Working Man Noise Unit, who are a bit like Fagazi, that Husker Do template they use quite well. They're a really nice band, noisy, a nice bunch of guys as well. There are a couple of other acts that are buzzing around. I put a gig on recently and I brought in this band. They're not from Reading, but I thought they were from Reading, but they're from Fleet and they're called Drugstore Romeos and they just did that Mazzy Star thing. They were three 17-year-old kids who brought all their stuff on a bus. Literally, didn't have a car, they brought it all on a bus. Brilliant. They were really fantastic. There is some bands knocking around, but you really have to search for them in Reading. There are a lot of left-field bands but you just need to dig around. A couple of my mates are in a band called Typical Hunks, which sounds kind of like Big Black, and they've got a guitar and bass, and the drum is a drum machine, which is an iPod strapped to Chris's guitar, so he presses the iPod start, and you can hear the drums come through. <clears throat> Excuse me, and then I've got a couple of friends in a band called Kill Committee, who are heavily influenced by Julian Cope, Echo and the Bunnyman, Tears Drop Explodes, that sort of thing. So there is stuff out there, there is stuff out there you just have to get out and see it live. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, Fleet there. I mean, I think North Hampshire and Basingstoke in particular is very much kind of part of the Reading hinterland, isn't it? Yeah. I think I think that's a lot of people go into Reading for their nights out rather than go down to Southampton or Portsmouth. So yeah. So I think, um, and it's the same with the Oxford music scene where there are bands from sort of Banbury and Dickon and elsewhere. You know, so it's not just people from Oxford itself. So before we go, just remind us, the schedule coming up. We're in 2017 at the moment. People listen to this podcast at different times. We're in October. We've got two more before the end of the year. Yep, November the 25th and December the 16th. And we may run on a little bit later for the Christmas one, hopefully. But it, they all start at 8 o'clock, finish at 12. But we'll probably run on a little bit later for the December one, maybe half 12-ish, hopefully, because it's Christmas. And then I'll be probably discussing the agenda for next year and um, sort of looking at what we'll be doing in 2017, uh, 2018. 
Yeah, and this is at South Street Art Centre, which is 21 South Street in Reading, which is striking distance on foot, no problem at all from the railway station. So, like, if you're thinking about coming in for it and at least getting the early part of the evening, you know, you can do that combined with, like, some of Reading's got quite a few good pubs as well, so you can have a decent night out. Also, if you're sort of listening and thinking, oh, you know, wish I had an indie night in my town and it's within kind of striking distance and I can think of a few around here that could really do with it, then, you know... Get in touch via Twitter, sounding board at sounding board sixty nine, or what's your Twitter handle? Uh, Steve Reynolds sixty eight and Darklands UK. Yeah. So there's two there. We've just shockingly naively given away our ages there with those uh, <laughs> <laughs> those those Twitter handles. It's Not all the false. Uh, it's, it's all false. I was just a fan of the kind of the whole kind of like age of revolution. That's all. That's not <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so get in touch over Twitter. Like, it'd be good to get some feedback and like say if you feel that your town hasn't got a really decent indie night and I know that some have had it in the past but you just need someone often there are people there and 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 Steve might be sort of willing to do one for you so thanks again Steve thanks Thanks for actually coming in it's been really enjoyable chat and we should be back with a regular issue of the pod before too long as well as more interviews in the future I'm sure you'll agree that was a very interesting chat with Steve Reynolds if you want to get to Darklands, there are two more instances of the club night before the end of the year. And I really do recommend it. It's absolutely tremendous fun. And there's some real floor fillers there that will take you back to your youth. And if you're a bit younger, you're also going to really enjoy the music. Just a reminder about our first interview pod, which featured Simon Bailey of Future Perfect, the promoters around Oxford, which aired a couple of months ago in the summer of 2017 well worth a listen very interesting on the ins and outs of promoting club nights and promoting bands and getting good bands to come to a city as far as the regular pod is concerned we just published last week episode 22 which featured david cox and amy laurent and we were talking about sacred cows in music so go back and give that one a listen as well as our previous 21 episodes of the regular pod We hope to be back later on in November with episode 23 and then episode 24 will feature our much coveted top 10 albums of the year. I'm Rob Langham and you can follow us on Twitter at at soundingboard69. Thank you.